Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The unchanging epigraph of our study of our inheritance in Jesus Christ, the book of Luke 24, 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so that we, as the participants of the body of Christ, would share together with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit, who reveals the truth in the heart, what we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which has been corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be made new by the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.22-24 Today, as never before, a very serious time so that the church can comprehend its calling. The first most purpose for the church has always been that she clothe herself into righteousness, clothe herself into God's love, but in order to clothe yourself into God's love, you need to first cast off of yourself the old man, the corrupt man, and only after that can you renew your mind, and after renewing your mind, you can then begin the process of clothing yourself into the new person, into righteousness. This is our mutual calling, and those saints who will not understand this or comprehend it, whatever they may do, whatever they may, uh, activities they may do, they will perish, only if somehow by uh, 
God will be merciful, someone who may not have been told about this, they are then <clears throat> saved in the blink of an eye and it's in the, for in the form of mercy and they repent for sins before they, uh, before they pass away. Sin governs over them. They always have secret of sins inside of them that they're embarrassed to reveal because they live in in their own wor somewhat in their own world and all people who refuse to fulfill their calling they have double standards no one wants to acknowledge that there are secret sins they condemn the other when they themselves are not able to free themselves of their own sins and so this place of scripture it helps us to truly be delivered from the power of sin who, that lives within our body the old man and so to fulfill this decree and commandment we need to put three destiny impacting commanding and fundamental acts into practice these are put off be renewed and put on and specifically fulfilling these three destiny impacting commanding and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath or more specifically will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a seed which identifies our deposit our justification given to us in salvation where we need to turn the three above mentioned acts into profit and the death of the Lord Jesus so that this salvation can be our possession in the form of the fruit of righteousness otherwise we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of a deposit or format of a guarantee which is why then our names will be forever blotted out of the book of life because our names were written uh, there in the format of a deposit or guarantee and it will be blotted out because we don't want to pay the price, we don't pay the price to purchase uh, and make this salvation our possession. In a specific format, we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement and specifically what conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person that is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. Relevant to this, we stopped to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God, El Elyon, or God Most High. In this psalm, in this prayer psalm, David turns to God and calls Him El Elyon, and this is translated as Most High. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God and proclaiming the faith of our heart when we are in, are in the circumstance of our tight situation casting off our old man. We call upon Him stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ. This means the faith of the heart that is concealed, the truth that is concealed in the heart. This is the faith of the heart and it needs to... Uh, this truth in the heart needs to present who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ, and what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. If this truth is not in our heart, then this means that we have a damaged truth there. We, a person says, I receive salvation. They call him out to repentance. 
you receive salvation, they pray for him, he repeats the prayer of salvation, and they say, that's it, you are now saved. But for him to be truly saved, he needs to work. He needs to uh, put forth all of his effort to be able to deny his nation, the house of his father, and lose his own life, his soul. And this is an unpleasant process for the flesh, for the body. It thinks, he thinks he came to God and that he is now free and everything will be easy. You know how people testify when they repent. They truly, at this time, sense something like this. And then, they, uh, with surprise, they find out in themselves, they discover that they haven't been freed of anything. Yes, they received salvation, but they have not been delivered from sin. Sin, as it was governing inside, continues to do so, but he, it has now been, uh, it has put on other garments, religious garments, and this very sin uh, sings, this sin preaches, this uh, sin does good work, this governing sin. And so that that's the, the truth. And he pretty much has pushed a person from one uh, dead end so to another. We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David with the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and also with governing sin as our old person with his deeds who supports they have a union uh, the mind of man and governing sin they have a specific pact with one another and as Saul called the Agog, the king of the Malachites, his own brother, and they gave, they shook hands and made a, a peace treaty with one another. God sends Saul, and he sent him by sending his prophet, telling Saul to do this, and he said, destroy everything, Samuel comes, and Saul says, I did everything that you told me to do. But Samuel says, what about these flocks? But he says, well, the nation said, he said, to let us leave these, uh, not destroy them, for as uh, we can use them as offerings. And so the mind doesn't acknowledge God as, as his God. And so when Saul would speak, he wouldn't, sp he wouldn't say our God, he would say to Samuel, your God. And when David spoke, if you, if you remember, he would say, my God and your God. But Saul always said or referred to it in a way, your God. The, old, uh, the, the mind never acknowledges authority over itself, uh, the carnal mind, the old man. And this is how I understand it. This is how, how I see it. I myself can read. Uh, the fact that you're able to read doesn't mean that you understand it. To understand is something the Holy Spirit helps you do. Uh, you with your mind can, the more a person uh, spends the time with his, uh, using his mind to understand the scriptures, the further the scriptures get from him. When only in his humility and his weakness comes to God and says, Lord, with my mind I can't understand your thoughts. They are too great for my thoughts. Allow me to understand them. And the Lord says, okay, first you need to, in the, my, in the death of my son, die for your nation, the house of your father, and for your own mind. 
humble yourself before me, do this work, and he tells you how to die, not just say this, but how, how do you <clears throat> die for the three? Begin to count yourself dead to sin, living for God. Uh, consider yourself dead to sin. Of course, the mind will say, how is this? How is it you count yourself dead to sin? I am not dead. He, he demands, he, he wants, I want to sin. This lust is stronger, but I have to count it myself as I don't have it. Yes, you need to count yourself as you don't have it and proclaim the not existent as existent because everything God does, he does by the word of faith. If you receive this truth into your heart and you begin to confess it, it begins to work. Not like how we want it or the time in which we want it, but when God wants this in order to grow us to, to increase our faith. And so the given allegory is incredible and in its character, this allegory contains three parts where we see an example of the character of a legitimate prayer belonging to kings, priests, and prophets, belonging to us. If we don't have or possess the, the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet, our prayer will never be in accordance to God's will. We will pray uh, presenting our own will as if it's God's. We will demand uh, that God fulfill it. When it's God's will and it's being fulfilled and we come to fulfill God's will, we don't demand. We just say it and we thank God for His will and we present ourselves. We don't know where we're going with that particular. God leads us in paths that are unknown to you, He says. Uh, Abraham came to a land he did not know. He never was there before. And he brought him in an unknown place. And he, he, he was, it was a mystery for him. And so these will, if it's not a mysterious uh, journey or path, then it won't be a path of faith. When you don't know the path, the mind of man does not agree to walk in this path. How can I go somewhere I don't know where I'm going? But that's what it's written about Abraham. He went not knowing where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He believed God, and he came to the land. He came from a uh, civilized people where people lived in their fortresses, in their uh, houses, in their in their uh, fortresses, and he came to a different place where people also were living in their own homes but he told him you will live in tents and you will walk the land uh, its width and its breadth and you'll have much flocks and you'll he had uh wealth and he was he he was able to trade and had business uh and he commanded him to live in a tent and Abraham agreed to this and God told him you will be a sojourner a stranger in this land a person thinks we're strangers we're, we're foreigners sojourners and they cry when they sing this but they don't have the state of a stranger oh and the reason is they haven't died for themselves and so the first part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer as well as uh, our heart which is the required basis for the legitimate status of our prayer that is intrinsic to us as kings, priests, and prophets. Second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which uh, comes from a legitimate heart, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis 
to deliver us in the image of David from the hands of all of our enemies and the hand of Saul, that is, from our carnal mind. Saul needs to die, and in his place, and so his uh, grandson is supposed to take that place and sit at the table of David, one who will respect David and one who will see uh, David great and see himself as humbled before him and little as in a sense and so that's how our carnal mind need, that's how our mind needs to feel before the mind of of Christ this the reasonable abilities of our spirit the mind of Christ the third part illustrates the prayer battle itself it contains an epic genre which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind of man in a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High, getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David, which are in the eight names of God, allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that he can be saved from his enemies. And this is something we need to do as well. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18, 1 through 4, eight names of God that identify the covenant that is made between God and man. And when we turn to God, we need to turn to Him and call Him with God by His names here who he is to us why we are uh, studying these names and so before studying these names submerging into the uh, unsearchable inheritance into this wealth uh, of the word we together will proclaim who god is to us in jesus christ and what he has done for us and so lord you are my strength lord you are my rock lord you are my fortress Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear these words and may he establish this within our heart and may he make us <clears throat> by the means of the confession of these eight names immovable, strong, and in hope, waiting for the salvation of our soul and the salvation of our body. As much as the Lord has allowed, and according to the measure of our faith, we already studied our inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the power of five names of God, and these are strength, rock, fortress, deliverer, and living rock, and stopped to study our unsearchable inherited lot in Christ Jesus, contained in the name of God, who is our living shield getting to know the eight names of God which identify God's covenant with us is a strategic teaching which is purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer, ones that have the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets who are anointed to rule over their earthly body. This needs to be our mantle, this needs to be our clothing. This prayer, it needs to represent the garments of our our garments of righteousness and we need to perfectly know what we're saying what is according to the word of god according to god's will how he sees us in jesus that is how we need to pray not 
how we see ourselves looking at governing sin inside, but how God sees us. Count yourself dead to sin. In Jesus Christ, we have died to sin so we can live for God. And when we by faith, and faith is obedience. This is not something I feel or someone else feels. This is faith is information that comes from the word of God, the preached word. Faith is from hearing the word. And so the most important is finally the Holy Spirit has been successful uh, uh, separating us from our feelings so we not uh, so that we not depend on our feelings. We don't need to trample on our feelings. We need to heal them and lead them. And so this horse is needed. God favors this horse, but he does not want the horse to control the rider, but the rider to control the horse so that we not depend on what our feelings may, may, may have. You can calm them and say, calm down, everything's fine. As a good rider who loves his horse, he will come up to him, he will pet him, and the horse will calm down if he's uh, riled up. Our feelings can become afraid of information that we're hearing today. Uh, it's just cascades, waterfalls coming from all over, and people are not even looking, not depending on themselves anymore. They, they, be, they lose their mind. They depend on information that they're hearing, and these are... Uh, they believe everything that they're hearing. But when we spend more of our time meditating on the Word, we come and we proclaim who God is to us and what He's done for us, we separate ourselves from this mass information that the world is just drowning in. And we begin to change ourselves and our surroundings. If a person has not accepted the given to him anointing, to govern over his calling, which is his mortal body, in the status of a king, a priest, and a prophet, so that he can change it into the virtue of a heavenly body, then this revelation that is purposed for worshiping God in prayer will not benefit him in any way, because due to his stiff neck, he has refused the given to him by God calling to save his soul, so that he can adopt his body by the truth that is contained in the redemption of Jesus Christ that we have, again, put into our heart and that we are continuously studying, meditating about, and in this way, keep it in the status of readiness. The name of God and the virtue of our living shield is presented in Scripture as a living protection that is ranked in Scripture as military armor or weaponry, living shield, living protection. This is These are words coming from the heart. If these words are not in the heart, I take words that are written in the Bible and we, I just say them, it's not in my heart, then this is word that kills. But living shield are words uh, that come from our heart, that we put it there. And they will absolutely be anointed by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is always where He needs to be, where the truth of the word is present. If in your heart you have the damaged truth, the Holy Spirit will not come there. You can be baptized in speaking in tongues, but this does not mean that you have received the Holy Spirit. You received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you've received it in the format of a guarantee. This doesn't mean that in baptism you've been submerged and that you've been delivered from the house of your father, from your nation, and your destructive desires. This is 
given to us in the format of a guarantee. And now we need to grow this baptism in ourselves so that it can become our own possession, so that you truly die for these things. The scriptures say that the purpose of a living shield is called to protect us, block us and protect us as warriors in prayer who battle for the interests of the will of God against our all our enemies that are within our body as well as outside of our body, as well as prompt a fight or enmity between ourselves and our enemy so that we can overthrow him and take back the property that belongs to us. I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 Seed is the word and so he'll put enmity between your word and the word of the word of the woman and what woman is it referring to here it's talking about the woman that is able to receive the word the function of a woman a function of a female it's not talking about a physical woman it's talking about a person male or female it's talking about the spiritual function because in scripture the word is the seed and the word is spoken by both men and women so she also has the function of a male and men and women when they hear words they receive them they hear information and they receive this information accept it and so a man has a female function in himself as well spiritual female function I will put enmity between your seed your word and the word of the woman the word that is in the heart and the word that comes as the comes li- as the letter that kills i will put enmity between these two the same person will come and re- come out and read and another will come out and read the same thing and i will put enmity between these two uh, who read the same place why because one will be death the other is life that's what it's talking about here and you yourself have seen many times when a person comes out and says something and their words have no life they say the right things but they have no life they're killing and when a person comes out and just he just begins reading and everything becomes alive everything becomes alive and why because this word has life in itself we can't put life into it we first need to accept it into ourselves and when you accept it into yourself it is life when you confess it what is within your heart and you confess within the measure in which we understand it if we don't understand the truth well we will confess it as this dimmed mirror as an infant they don't understand uh, that a mother for example, the mother has bore a, my brother. They, they could say these words, but they don't completely comprehend uh, what that means until they themselves are grow up and bear their own child. And so as Apostle Paul says, as that a dim mirror, you see, but you don't see clearly and you don't see far. You can't identify or determine what what the form is in the mirror 
But when he comes out of spiritual infancy, he then begins to see as it is, clearly, when he leaves spiritual infancy. This is casting off of yourself the old man, renew your mind. This is to come out of uh, spiritual infancy. And so when the enemy will be pursuing us to take us back into slavery, the name of God, the virtue of a living shield, will immediately stand between us and our enemies, so that by doing so, he can take the hits upon himself of the vile curse that has been passed on to us by the corrupt seed of the sinful life of our fathers in the flesh. How will God stand between us and our enemies? Using our confessions. We think God will just come and stand. God says, son or daughter, I already stood, stand there and I'm in your heart. I'm in the truth and this truth can set you free. As soon as you see danger, begin to confess who God is for you, what he's done for you, loudly and confidently, again and again and again. And when you confidently, loudly confess this, then using these words, God will stand between you and your enemy that you're afraid of. And you will see when you uh, proclaim who God is to you, Lord, you are my strength, you are my rock. And you will understand what you're saying. And then God will stand using this word between you and your enemy. And the angel of God who went the place of scripture, Exodus 14, 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Exodus 14, 19, 20. And so he was... He uh, was behind them and he lit up the way so that they continue to go. He, he was shining a light. But for those that were pursuing them, uh, he was darkness uh, and they couldn't see. He stood between, again, the camp of Israel and the camp of the Egyptians. And so the quality and lexicon in identifying the name of God's shield as with the previous names of God Most High are not able to be found in any di- in any dictionary of the world. So to be our living shield so that he can take upon himself the hits of the vile curse that pursues us by the sinful seed of our fathers. This is to protect and block us from the wrath of God, protect and block us from the deception of the evil one, protect and block us from the evil and slanderous tongue, protect and block us from the curse of all nature of illness, protect and block us from the curse of poverty, uh, the curse of untimely death and from the sinful life passed on to us from our fathers. And so in this way, considering such a necessary tandem and such a union of God and man, it becomes vital for us to determine in each aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of man. And for this purpose, as with the previous names of God called to be the lot of our salvation, it is necessary for us to study four classical questions which will help us get to know the essence of our inheritance in the name of God, shield, so that we can provide God with legitimate grounds so that he can use them in battle for the adoption of our body. <clears throat> According to scripture, what are the identifications and qualities of the name of God and the purpose of his glorious name, shield? What purpose being in the role of our protector did God allocate for himself? And what role has he placed upon us? What conditions do we need to fulfill to provide God with a proper basis that he needs to allow us to take part in the unsearchable inheritance of his name 
and the virtue of a living shield of faith, and by what science can we examine ourselves as to whether we are truly collaborating our faith with the faith of God in the virtue of his name, shield. Considering this, we need to not forget that all of the acts of God relating to his protection are called to happen by collaborating our faith with the faith of God, where we see the role of God in the function of our helper, and the role of man in the function of the responsible party clearly identified and outlined. This means that until we fulfill our role, identified in the three above-mentioned acts, God will not have any legitimate basis to fulfill his role so that he can destroy the stronghold of death in our body and replace it with the erection of the stronghold of life. If we will not count ourselves dead to sin and living for God and proclaim the non-existent stronghold of incorruption in our body as existent, God will not be, he'll never make it happen. But when we do proclaim, then whatever state we may be in, if we are faithful, then it will happen as it happened with Abraham. When nothing could be fixed, nothing literally physically could not be fixed, God won't do this uh, looking at your abilities. We will confess and God will do it using his own abilities, not having clear and exhaustive re uh, responses to these questions, which we are able to receive exclusively by being instructed in faith. We will not have any opportunities to turn our silver to profit in the form of the existing in us deposit of salvation so that we can then receive our salvation as a possession in the fruit of our spirit that is grown in the Eden of our spirit. As it is written, for all of the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 1.20, this means that not a single promise is able to come to pass without the apostles, only through them, by obeying their words. Only by obeying their words are we able to become uh, like-minded and having one heart, one soul. If each one will shout and say that he has his own opinion, his own mind. There will never never be like-mindedness, and there will not be a unity of hearts. Uh, they'll just say, well, you need to respect the opinion of each person. That's what you hear people say. That's a democratic way of seeing. They themselves don't respect either. They say you need to. They think that you need to obey what they're doing. That's what they're, that really means. This is a uh, wrapped-up form of dictatorship. And so if it's deadly to both the person saying and to you, will you still respect the opinion? If you see a, a child has picked up a knife, uh, will you allow them to him to use it and respect his opinion on what he should do? Without... Uh, Therefore, without the collaboration of our faith with the powers contained in the name of God, shield, concealed in our heart in the format of the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ, we will not be able to please God. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for He, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who dil diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Sometimes people say, well, I don't believe it. Uh, I want to, but I don't. And I tell them, well, it's because no one's explained to you what faith is. Faith is obedience. It's not something I, I, that I just want it and it's not happening. If you want it, then you fulfill what you hear. Faith is not what you're feeling, but faith is obeying what is told to you by God, by a person that is placed by God. 
in a specific format. We already looked at the first two questions and have been studying the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to provide God with the proper foundation that He needs to allow us to partake in the unsearchable inheritance of His name, the virtue of a living shield of our faith? Four of the components of the price of the price, giving God the legitimate foundation that He needs to allow us to, t- to partake in the unsearchable inheritance of His name, shield, have already been subjects of our study, and we stop to study the fifth component of the price. I will shortly remind us of the previous. First component of the price consists in fulfilling the condition, giving us the ability to worship the Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. Second component of the price consists in the condition to accept the Gadites who came to us in the wilderness to demonstrate for us the power of the name of God and the virtue of our living shield. Third component of the price consists in fulfilling the condition of obtaining a righteous heart before God. Fourth component of the price consists in walking before God. Fifth component of the price consists in the price fulfilling the condition to have hope upon God and upon His word. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. 2 Samuel 22.31 According to this statement, we conclude that God is a living shield only for those saints who have grown living hope upon God and upon His Word in the heart from the seed of hope into the fruit of hope. To grow, uh, meaning hope is given, given to us again in the form of a seed. Hope is the truth of the preached Word. This is promises. They're given in the form of seeds and we plant them, we grow them, and they become then living hope. A seed will not give it will not benefit us in any way until the seed dies in the soil of the good heart. It will not benefit us. But for the seed that is accepted into the good soil of our heart to bear fruit, we need to make our soil good. We need to cast off of ourselves our old man with his deeds and acknowledge it takes <clears throat> sometimes a long time those that are maybe close to us don't uh, tell us what our uh, uh, maybe problems may be because they're uncomfortable they don't want to uh, ruin a relationship they may have with you um, and no one else is telling you we all uh, we all are born with a controlling spirit and you see this in infants when you're feeding them they're trying to take it from you uh, and he wants to do everything himself he's trying to take it away from you and we're happy that they're they're trying to practice uh, uh, the right things but it, it turns into control some have it more some have it less Some people don't like conflict, and when a controller begins to pressure them, they just give up and they they don't want to have this conflict. Who needs a conflict? But we need to pray that the Lord reveal what those may be in ourselves, not in someone else, but in ourselves, so that we may see that in ourselves. When I began to see this in myself, and when the Lord revealed it to me, I very much hated it. I hated the old man in me because it came from him. I hated him, truly hated him, and I cursed my soul. I allowed it to die in the death of the Lord Jesus. And so we ask the question, what conditions do we need to fulfill, or what price do we need to pay to have living hope upon God and upon His Word? We've noted that living hope is a strong and immovable foundation upon which we are called to build 
our hope upon God and upon His Word or place our hope upon the unchanging Word of God. This is the foundation upon which we build our hope upon God. And again, or place our hope upon the unchanging Word of God so that we build ourselves into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. A house is built upon the foundation of hope from uh, from trust, but built upon hope. If a person has no hope, and a person says, I trust in God, and he builds it upon the sand, when a storm comes, uh, waters will come, and it will be clear then that this person had no hope, which is why his building was, was broken down. Yes, his building may have been built correctly. He was building with the right stones, but he was not building upon a stone. The other, the opposite, having a stone, they begin to build their house of, of hay or other materials, uh, and some uh, are saved at, in the form of mercy in this case. Uh, the foundation was right, but their building was incorrect. They weren't explained. Uh, they at least had hope, uh, but weren't explained how to properly build. And so what is hope? We note that living hope is as we talked about, is a strong and immovable foundation. And this hope needs to consist of the combination of all of the oath promises of God in our heart that are received by us in the format of the seed of the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. We conclude that such hope is always connected with waiting for what is unseen or with or waiting with patience, waiting for the fulfillment of what is not seen exclusively within the implemented by God time, the Lord of which is God. We don't uh, try to push an event to happen. We we run ahead of them, but we don't need to. We need we don't need to be hasty. We need to just look at what's happening around and what's happening inside. The absence of living hope in our heart indicates the absence of understanding or knowledge in our heart about who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and who we are to God in Jesus Christ by the fact of our birth from God and what we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, not having the undamaged hope in our heart, we will be destroyed by God because there's an absence of hope, because the damaged truth can't be a foundation for our being built into a spiritual house. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. Knowledge comes from the preached word, not how I and my opinion may be, but what God says. I will come and hear what God will say and prepare your heart to hear what God will say, coming to church to listen to what God will say. You have rejected this knowledge. I also will reject you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children, Hosea 4, 6. We more than once paid attention to the fact that the ignorance of man is linked to the absence of hope in his heart. And this is not just the lack of knowledge of, of the faith teaching or an untested innocence. This is always an outward rejection of wholesome truth for the benefit of personal interpretation of the reasonable abilities of our carnal mind who resists the implemented by God order. And so hope that abides in the heart of man in the form of the combination of all of the oath promises of God is an unexhaustive potential of God abiding in the heart of a good person. 
in the soil of the heart of a good person. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke 6.45 A good person is a person uh, via confession brings forth good good hope upon God and upon his word from his righteous heart. Considering this principle, we turn to some defining acts by which we need to exa- examine in what way can the soil of our heart that originally and in its nature is evil can become the good treasury of hope upon God and upon His Word. Six components that identify the presence of the good potential of our heart in the form of our hope upon God and upon His Word, by which we need to judge or determine that the soil of our heart by which we need to determine that the soil of our heart is changed from evil to good. Have already been subject, uh, have already been subjects of our studied, or have been those components we've studied. Therefore, therefore, we will immediately turn now to the seventh component. The seventh component in identifying the good potential in our heart, in the form of our hope upon God and upon His Word, changing the soil of our heart from evil to good. That there is living hope there consists of remaining temperate, in accordance to sound doctrine. And so the soil of our heart needs to be, needs to have, uh, have the state of remaining temperate in accordance to sound doctrine, which provides God with a legitimate foundation to be our living shield, taking upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemy. If we will not have temperance, that is not in accordance to sound doctrine, God can't be our shield. This means that we don't have hope, living hope. It is temperate. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that they that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Again, pattern of good works in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. If you paid attention, the command to remain temperate is addressed to older men and older women, to men and women that are married as well as young people. Temperance is instruction, enlightenment, virginity, innocence, purity, restraint, self-control, discipline of the tongue and emotions. One who is temperate is virgin, guiltless, pure, meaning a strict moral purity. To be temperate is not having unlawful sexual relations. Escape unlawful sexual relations, have a sober mind, be wise, and be restrained. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
2 Timothy 1.7, temperance as a whole is an absence of untruth, deceit, fornication, thievery, covetousness, drunkenness, adultery, and idolatry. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, or revelers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Second, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10. Summing up the purpose and function of light, which functions within our hope upon God and upon His word, in temperance we conclude, if our hope does not have light, which demonstrates itself in temperance, God will not have legitimate grounds upon which to be our living shield, taking upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies that are both within our body as well as out of our body. Eighth component in identifying the good potential in our heart in the form of our hope upon God and upon his word, changing the soil of our heart from evil to good, is a unique balance when the success of one realm in in us does not abolish the success of another realm. There needs to be a balance so that for the sake of the success of one area, we not uh, abolish the other. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge, why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south by the south wind job 37 14 or 17 and so first a unique balance when the success of one realm in us does not abolish the success of another realm is our behavior when it comes to righteousness and lawlessness where the measure of our love for righteousness and its carriers is equal to the measure of hatred you have for lawlessness and its carriers you understand how uh, sometimes for the sake of hatred toward lawlessness you you get so drawn into it that you damage righteousness in yourself or having so much love for righteousness you don't pay attention to hatred toward lawlessness there needs to be a balance between the two because the measure of love for righteousness it's all is always in balance or this equal to your measure of hatred toward lawlessness but to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews 1, 8, 9. I will continue to look, we will, we will continue to look a little bit more uh, at this unique balance. Second, a unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm is when the level of production of the fruit of virtue within our faith is equal to the level of the demonstration of reasonableness and so forth <coughs> and so when reasonable reasonableness it comes from goodness uh, there needs to be a from virtue there needs to not be more of one and less of another as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which 
have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to pres- perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even so, to blindedness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Second Peter 1, 3-9 through 9. And so when these are all in balance then in ourselves, then this means we have hope upon God and upon his word. Third, a unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm is when the level of success of victory over the enemy is equal or balanced to the level of obedience in destroying the enemy. Because to be victorious does not mean to destroy, necessarily. When the enemy is overcome, he's taken as a a slave or as a prisoner. But in our case, we don't take them as prisoners, we destroy them. That's the difference. And so when the level of success of a victory needs to be equal to our obedience in the same uh, measure. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. You see no balance. And so they uh, preserved the king, governing sin, and he actually made peace with him and set him free and spared all of his flocks. And so this is what our carnal mind does. I'm showing uh, where, uh, where there's no balance and how it needs to be to overcome the enemy and destroy him. A unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm is when the measure of love for the light is equal to the measure of hatred for the darkness. He who believes in him in Jesus Christ is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hatred, evil hated the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. John 3.18-20 But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. John 3.18-21 I once told you that there was an Episcopal who was a... Uh, so proud and he was talking about how he he worked a long life uh, in a specific job and he no one ever knew he was Christian for me in my case when I would work people would become curious and immediately discover the fact that I was Christian they always wanted to know why why I'm different in some way Something's different, something, and, and they would ask questions. Uh, 
there was a gentleman that uh, was a teacher in an institute and he was telling me there's something different in you and, and he said I figured it out I was suffering at home and I figured it out you don't speak dirty and ugly words because people in their conversations uh, they may uh, come on stage and say one thing or another but when they are in communication with one another just on a regular basis they they call money in weird ways uh, they na give it weird names and other things they they say uh, use other other words to describe that are not for it others also I've had uh, people that were curious and would ask a lot of questions and discover that I'm Christian also Fifth, a unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of the other realm is when coldness in being dead to sin is equal to hotness in living to righteousness. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Revel uh, Revelations 3, 15 through 16. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. There is no balance. A person needs to be dead to sin and living for God then there is a balance but when he's lukewarm there's no balance six the unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm we are God's clouds uh, we that pour out rains upon those whom God blesses and upon those whom God curses a unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm is when the fruit of the spirit is not exchanged or replaced with the works of the flesh now the works of the, of the flesh are evident which are adultery fornication uncleanness lewdness idolatry sorcery hatred contentions and so idolatry and sorcery uh, if you remember how Saul uh, disobeyed Samuel and this disobedience was seen as idolatry and sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that these who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5:19 through 24. And so, when you have a complete balance, a perfect balance, when there are not the works of the flesh that we are demonstrating, they're there, but we count ourselves dead, dead to them, and we don't let them reveal themselves. They begin to reveal themselves in our words. It'll be the thought will come first, and when we're controlling our thoughts then we are ruling over our thoughts then no word will uh, a dirty word will come out if we're con uh, controlling and ruling over our thoughts if I've removed all the dirty words from my lexicon and I've gotten used to it then even in the moment of irritation uh, a word will not come out that I don't have because I don't use it Seventh, a unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm is when true godliness is not exchanged for a false form of godliness. But note this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, 
proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And so again, they have the form of godliness, but they don't have the state of godliness inside. Only the appearance. Eighth, a unique balance when the success of one realm does not abolish the success of another realm is when the true prophets and teachers are not exchanged for false prophets and false teachers. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Heresies are teaching and they will be destructive. People will receive it as something new, even denying the Lord who brought them who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways. Many, as you pay attention here, will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Second Peter 2, 1-3 Looking at these words, the price for obtaining the shield of salvation, making us a partaker of the inheritance of our calling, is in our regard, and we look at this as our regard to the word of God, and looking at it as a two-edged sword, which indicates the absence of partiality in our heart. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, <clears throat> piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joint and marrow, and as a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the word good is equivalent and identical to the meaning of the word goodness, grace, mercy, truth, way, light, and God. In other words, the word good, together with its other meanings, is one of the names of God, qualities of God, and abilities of God that simultaneously is the good way that leads to the Heavenly Father. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my, and am known by them. John 10, 11, and 14. The good seed which we receive and the image into which we are transformed. When we grow this seed, we begin to transform into this image of, of the seed, this program. The seed has a program of living hope upon God. And has a, it's an informational program that contains the nature of the power of God and the structure of the kingdom of heaven that demonstrates itself in theocracy, the theocracy of God. This informational program that is demonstrated in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh uh, builds and regulates the protocol of the relationship that is between God and man. And the protocol, protocol of such a given law is called to function exclusively with uh, using the means and power of the Holy Spirit and the continual and uh, prayer that never quits and therefore the good uh, uh, soil that is the good soil of the human heart that takes upon itself or takes into itself the good seed uh, and grows it into fruits of life is the kingdom of God and man summing up the purpose of the function of light and hope upon God and His Word, we conclude that if our hope does not have light, which are in the works of justice, God will not have any have any foundation or legitimate grounds to 
be our shield, taking upon himself the hiss that are directed at us by our enemies. And these are enemies inside of our body as well as out of our body. Sixth component of the price, giving us the power to the right to partake in the imperishable and unsearchable inheritance of Christ and God, consisting in the name of God's shield, taking upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies, consists in our trust upon God and upon his word. Before this, we were talking about hope. And right now we will talk about trust. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. There we were reading about God's hope and now we are reading about his uh, uh, God, the trust we have in him according to this place of scripture we read here every word of God is pure he is a shield to those who put their trust in him Proverbs 35 there are a lot of places of scripture about hope as well as trust and so hope and trust are two different things and as we have studied what hope is uh, that according to the many places of scripture we conclude that God has promised to be a living shield only to that category of people that have in their heart uh, trust upon God and upon his word we need to ask the question what price do we need to pay so that we can have trust upon God and his word and relating to this I will remind us of characteristics that identify trust upon God and his word Trust is firstly one of the numerous names of God containing various abilities of God where David calls God his trust. When we trust upon God and upon his word that is presented in the oath promises of God that we have put into our heart, we in this way provide God with legitimate grounds to be our living shield, taking upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies that are within our body as well as out of our body in the form of unclean and lawless people that have filled the churches. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hands of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man, for you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. Psalm 71, 4, 5. First he says, you are my hope, and then he says, you are my trust. Trust that is confessed by David is his reaction, his responsive reaction to the specific works of God which he showed him uh, in the given to him hope a psalm of David blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle my loving kindness and my fortress my hype tower and my deliverer my shield and the one in whom I take refuge who subdues my people under me Psalm 144 1 through 2 David lists and thanks God for specific works that he has done and they are in God's names and they are uh, the trust that David had and so a prayer that does not list the deeds of God that were done for us does not have trust and a prayer that does not have trust is not accepted by God and does not find favor in God's sight as listing the works of God that were done by him or his own trust is the thanksgiving of man to which God then responds in turn with his thanksgiving apostle john identifying this kind of relationship between god and man wrote this and of his fullness he we have all received grace for grace john 1 16 and so in the original uh grace for grace uh as thanksgiving for thanksgiving as much as we know one of the meanings of the word grace is the word thanksgiving 
and in the original the meaning of this place is in the demonstration of the fullness of visibility we have all reaped the goodness of God because we have sown thanksgiving to God and so speaking of this we need to sow or bring forth thanksgiving to God for the works that he has done for us when we were still sinners and so it is necessary for us to demonstrate thanksgiving to God when we uh, thank God we we give this thanksgiving to God he then responds with his own thanksgiving grace for grace thanksgiving for thanksgiving and so to identify and understand the abilities of God in, as being a living shield to us taking upon himself the hits that are directed at us by our enemies we will read one more place of scripture where we see uh, David uh, speaking of God as his trust but my eyes are upon you O God the Lord in you I take refuge do not leave my soul distute keep me from the snares they have laid for me and for the traps of the workers of iniquity Psalm 141 8 9 and so looking at this place of scripture prayer that does not possess the element of trust upon God will turn our eyes somewhere else but not upon God because as it is we turn our eyes toward that <clears throat> that we trust in that is our pillar that is what we worship trust upon God <clears throat> allows God to fulfill our requests <clears throat> so that he not leave our soul destitute and uh, deliver us from the snares that have been placed for us we often say that often discipline or the truth of trust is confused for hope uh, and and uh, humility they're often confused <clears throat> these words and so trust is the fruit that is born from hope just as uh, gentleness bears humility faith and hope bring forth trust and so we can trust only what we believe in and what we hope upon because to trust in something is to trust in to trust in something to lean on something to look at something to erect your building upon something and the something needs to be a foundation or specific uh, ground upon which there's a discipline of truth that consists not just of faith and hope and so the phrase to trust upon God means to trust upon God as your own hope and so to trust upon God is to trust him as your hope to lean upon him as your own hope to thank God look upon God demonstrate your faith and hope upon God erect your building upon God make God your pillar and your support make God your stronghold refuge and safety at the same time hope means waiting or yearn or yearning for what God has promised for the future and so when our faith needs to do something that is within our heart in the form of God's promises then it takes it from what is waiting that is from the treasury of hope that is in our heart as it is written now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen Hebrews 11 1 and so 
now faith, when it says now faith is the substance, this is faith that is the faith of our heart. And so when in our heart we have the foundation of hope upon which you can then build something, then you will have the opportunity to trust in something. We need to remind ourselves of the essence of four classical questions that will refresh in our mind what characteristics do the scriptures provide for the origin and root from which the virtue of trust upon God grows, what function is trust upon God called to fulfill in our life, what conditions do we need to fulfill to obtain and clothe our heart into trust upon God, and what results can we expect in our life for obtaining and keeping trust upon God. Question 1. What do the scriptures say about the root from which the virtue of trust upon God grows? First, trust upon God grows from the entrails of God Himself, and therefore comes from God. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Psalm 62.7 Second, trust upon God comes and is founded upon the resurrection of Christ, and upon His glory that God has given Him who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 1 Peter 1.21 When we receive the resurrection of Christ, for what reason? So that we may have faith and hope upon God. When we, by the faith of our heart, using the faith of our heart, accept the stronghold of life into our heart, the, the stronghold of incorruption, then at this time, hope, is, a trust upon God is born. That's where it's born. If a person does not accept the promise of the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ, so that he can, so that God can erect the stronghold of life, stronghold of incorruption, that means he does not have trust upon God. He states the phrase, "I trust in God," or sister, trust in God. But how can you do so if you don't have this trust? Trust is information just as hope is. It's a discipline. And you need to, it needs to be explained in many places of scripture and examples uh, need to be shown how it can grow in you, how it can, as a seed, be planted in you and gr- be grown into fruit. Third, trust upon God comes from or grows from hope upon God. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 7. As we can see here, it comes from hope. He is blessed because he trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord. He builds upon this hope. He builds this trust upon this hope. Looking at this, we conclude that a person can be blessed by the Lord only when his trust upon God is founded upon his hope upon God. Fourth, trust upon God comes from or grows from the judgments of God. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. Psalm 119.43 The words of truth are God's judgments, because they identify what is good and evil. They separate the holy from unholy. And David says, Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for they... And he says, I hope in your ordinances. Fifth, trust upon God comes from or grows from information that is contained in Scripture by the preached word. 
I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. Psalm 135, if this word is not explained by the apostles and prophets, the teachers and pastors, then we will not have this trust upon God. According to this place of scripture, we conclude that what we hope upon or what we place our hope upon or hope in is our trust. Sixth, trust upon God comes from or grows from us looking at the Lord. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Psalm 141.8. According to this place of scripture, we conclude that what we look at and what we focus our eyes upon is our trust. When it means looking at something, that means we meditate about it. It's not talking about our physical eyes and what we focus we're talking here symbolically, this is what we meditate about. Seventh, trust upon God comes from or grows from the fear of the Lord. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you, Psalm 56.3. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom of God or revelation about God that comes from God by the preached to us word. It is specifically this fear that gives birth to trust upon God as trust upon God while simultaneously trusting upon the abilities of your reasonable abilities is not just unfitting but are also contrary one to the other and are in conflict with one the other. For I will not trust in my bow nor shall my sword save me, Psalm 44, 6, David writes. In other words, not my will, not my tongue saves me, not my sword. He takes the word of God, not my sword, but your sword, your word saves me. Second question, what functions in tr is trust upon God in our life called to fulfill so that we can provide God with legitimate grounds upon which he can be our living shield, taking upon himself the hits that are directed us by our enemies? First, function in the purpose of trust upon God is called to give us the power to the right to call God our God. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Psalm 31, 14. Why does he say, you are my God? When a person does not trust God, but says, God, you are my God, God sees this as, this is offensive to God. You need to first trust in God. And, and then when you trust in him, you could say he is your God. Second function and the purpose of trust upon God is called to give us the power to the right to draw near to the Lord and declare his good works. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Psalm 73:28. As you can see, according to these words of the place that we just read, according to, the, to these words, it is true that only a person that trusts upon God is able to draw near to God, and only a person that trusts upon God is able to declare all his works. Third, function and the purpose of trust upon God is called to give us a guarantee that God will hear us when we pray. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord my God, Psalm 38, 15. And so when we have trust, we pray and then we calm down. We allow the Lord, Lord to do His work, to take our case, why we trust in the Lord. Sometimes people say, ha, ask me a question, how do you 
bear everything that happens around you. As a per they, they'll tell me, well, one person just says something to me and I can't sleep already. But I, but I tell them it's because you don't have trust upon God. I have trust upon God. I pray for that person and I allow God to handle the case. Uh, if this need has become obvious, a, a person has this. Uh, I don't bear it on my own shoulders. I allow God to uh, do His work. I pray and I put it in the Lord's hands and I calm down. But a person may pray and pray and be suffering and worrying and they call everybody, pray for me, pray for me, and they pray, call different churches to pray. Uh, and I tell them, there won't be a result. There won't be a result because you don't trust God. All churches will pray, but you don't have trust. And these pray prayers will be blocked by you because you're the one who asked for these prayers to happen. Fourth, function and the purpose of trust upon God is called to prompt joy and joyfulness in God as well as provide God with a legitimate basis upon which He can defend us. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who also, also who love your name be joyful in you. Psalm 5.11 Why are people... Uh, in disappointment. A person may uh, offend you and for me they'll offend me for example and they'll hurt immediately of course but I lift my eyes to God and look at who He is to me and when I begin to look at who God is to me and what they did to me then becomes very meaningless to me. I begin to rejoice instead and God says I will defend a person who's able to rejoice when he is accused, when he is, uh, when they speak falsely about him. We were in a church and we were sitting with a brother once. It's a Pentecostal church that, uh, uh, that uh, is here and it was, we weren't yet a church and a man came out on the stage and was saying uh, very bad things about me, saying, we need to get rid of him, he's a heretic. And another brother turned and looked at me and says, he's saying this about you. And I said, so what? And he asked me, well, how can you be so calm when he's saying this in the presence of all these people? And I told him, because I trust upon God. I trust in God. I don't trust in him. If I trusted in him and he would say evil things against me or about me, first of all, this is an Episcopal that is no longer an Episcopal. He, he, and there were a lot of Episcopals that gathered in that place and they can all become, uh, take certain positions within the church. Uh, And unfortunately, these people will decide what is heresy, what isn't. And I actually rejoiced when he was saying these things. I told them, you know, this actually makes me happy because they're dishonoring me 
uh, but I know what the truth is. And he's saying things I did not say. He is guessing, he's assuming, he's perverting my words. They perverted Christ's words as well, and the prophets. They perverted their words, uh, and so this is normal. Fifth function in the purpose of trust upon God is called to serve as honor to God while simultaneously serving as safety from His anger. And so, when you trust upon God, you in this way honor God, and this trust is safety or protection from His wrath, because God's wrath is kindled against the old man in us, although He's He's bound, and so when we have trust, wrath does not fall upon me, but only upon the old man. But when I don't have trust, then wrath falls upon me because I have the old man. Wrath then comes upon me and the old man without trust upon him. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Psalm 2.12, if we trust upon God, we honor God, and this is safety from His wrath. Looking at these prophetic words, we conclude that a lack of trust upon God is a lack of honoring God. Therefore, we can conclude that those saints who refuse to trust upon God due to their ignorance are vessels of wrath. At the same time, saints that trust in God, unlike the prior, are vessels of blessing. Sixth function in the purpose of trust upon God is called to deliver us from the fear of our own flesh. In God, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. Psalm 56, 4. When in the flesh there are specific thoughts, some kind of vengeance, some kind of bitterness, some kind of lust, some kind of passions. But he says, in the Lord, I will praise his word. He is protected in God because he trusts. In God, I have put, I put, I have put my trust, what can flesh do to me? Psalm 56.4 But when there's no trust and this arises in, in your flesh, a person feels uh, very uh, he, be, he, he begins to feel like he's not whole and he's a sinner and how can God look at him if he has these kinds of desires terrible desires inside but when you have trust upon God you don't pay attention to those desires and God does not account this as a sin to you why? because you don't agree with them you don't pay attention to them you count yourself dead to sin living for God <clears throat> and the Lord begins to rejoice he begins to be, he, he becomes proud of you and the devil says well look at what's inside of him but the Lord says well he doesn't have that because trust upon God blots out these things God doesn't see it why because you're obedient to his words you count yourself dead to sin and living for God looking at these red words we conclude that a person who trusts upon God is not afraid of the flesh and everything that comes from the flesh because by the means of his trust in God he is placed into the entrails of God where he magnifies the Word of God seventh function in the purpose of trust upon God is called to be an absolute independence of 
the fear of men. In God I have put my trust. I am not afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56, 11. I today was talking to some brothers uh, from Ukraine. He ran from Kiev. And so they're they're uh, trying. To, the Benderes are trying to uh, have him join their army, and he escaped that, and he's hiding. And so he tells me, we listen to the sermons, and this gives us such trust upon God. Just trust, peace in the heart, uh, soberness. Although I am running, I I'm living, I, I'm not at home. I understand that I need to work, I need to somehow provide for myself, but I am not the only one. And another pastor called, two other pastors called and said, it, we have bombs all around, uh, but we have peace and we gather, we listen to the word, and we are in peace and we trust. And this has become our peace right now and trust, this word. And so, some people right here, they worry, we, we worry about, but you need to stop worrying and pray about them. God will be with them. I told, I told them, we prayed for you, and you are now in the ha Lord's hands, and it will be good. It will be, it'll be okay. Everything will be okay. Looking at this victorious testimony, we conclude that a person who trusts upon God is not afraid of men, as fear before men is an absence of trust upon God. In other words, we trust upon something or someone that we fear, who we are proud of and who we walk before, or the opinion that we depend on. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. 1 Corinthians 4.3, Apostle Paul says, he doesn't care what, what opinion they have. They can have a great opinion, they can have a terrible opinion, but he doesn't care either way. Why? Because he says, I do not even judge myself. I, in, I allow God to do it, that God judge me. And so when someone judges someone else, or we judge ourselves, <clears throat> When we say judge, that is that we uh, that we evaluate ourselves. We trust upon God's mercy. Eighth function in the purpose of trusting upon God is called to open up in our heart the potential of God, so that we He can show us His favor in the form of His living shield. Our time is pretty much up. We will bend our knees and our heads in prayer. We will thank God that we were able to listen to the word of God that is called to be our hope and our trust that will be built upon this hope. In cell groups, talking about these things, studying these things, we will obtain true peace and calm in our heart. And so let us pray. May the Lord bless us. Heavenly Father, 
in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your precious and great and glorious word. I thank you for your church where you have magnified this word. I thank you for the body, my body, where you have exalted your word, magnified your word. I thank you that I am a partaker of the good wife, where you have erected this word and have made it your own throne. And so our heart is calm in you. And although we fall, although we sin, when we proclaim the non-existent as existent, we rise. We confess our sins and we keep going. You don't account these sins to us and you continue to see us righteous. And that day will come when you will change our bodies in the blink of an eye. And here on earth, death will be destroyed in our body. In, and Corruption will be destroyed. Our bodies will become glorious as you are, as yours are, yours is, and you will show on this earth who you were for your saints. That is when they will see the difference between those between those who serve you and those who don't serve you. And we thank you that we have this promise in our heart. We have this knowledge, and all the accuser accuses and says we will never achieve it he's always turning our eyes to our actions to our emotions but you live and our soul lives we pay attention to who you are to us in Jesus Christ and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ who you are to us you are our hope you are our trust and you will hear us and respond to us and we will wait for this because you said we need to wait and even if it tarries it still will come we thank you may hope and trust be in the hearts of your nation and may you show your glory to the to this trust and hope we worship before your great God Son and Holy Spirit amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen and so let us now proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen <laughs> 